Well, amen, church. You just about convinced me that you love Jesus this morning. So wonderful to be able to see you worship uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords today. If you would go ahead, as our musicians are exiting the stage, if you go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word and turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. At North Roanoke, we are convinced that God wrote a book, and so we should study it as a book. And so we, we work our way through books of the Bible as they have been written. And one of the critiques of that method of preaching is, well, what about all the topics that, that the Bible speaks to? Uh, when will we ever cover those topics? And the reality is Hebrews is about 12 chapters of theology and one chapter of topics. And it's a chapter of taking all that theology that we have access to God, that we know God, that our sins have been forgiven through Jesus, who is uh, the better Savior than all these false substitutes that the world offers. The so what is found primarily in chapter 13. This is how it's going to impact your daily life. And so we've kind of slowed down a little bit through verses 1 through 6 that really hang together as one paragraph that is flowing right out of chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. And in verse 28, we were told that, that because of what Jesus has done in us and for us, that we are to live lives of gratitude, and that our gratitude for what we have from God through Christ compels us to worship God. And it compels us to lead, lead and live lives that are well-pleasing to God. And so in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 13, we're learning about how to live a life practically that is well-pleasing to God. And last week we saw that we live a life that's well-pleasing to God by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we talked about brotherly love in the family of God. And we talked about how that takes selflessness. And what you'll find today is is we're going to talk about marriage and the marriage bed. And I don't know of any relationship more than marriage that requires selflessness. Amen. Puts two individuals in the closest proximity possible, and the only way for it to work is through selflessness. And then next week we'll cover money, which also requires selflessness. But today, uh, we're going to learn again and afresh about the selfless love of God being reflected and revealed through marriage and the marriage bed. Would you hear with me? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Do you pray with me? God, help us to take in this one verse today. God, to internalize it as a church, as married couples for those who are married. And God, for those who are not yet married or perhaps previously married, whether divorced or widowed, the God, that you would help them even to find their place in this text because marriage is to be honored by all. Lord, you have given us Christ as the bridegroom of the church. Help us, no matter whether we're married or not, to prize Jesus as our husband and to pursue Him with all that we have. And God, help us to be a a family of faith that lives out and prizes marriage for the glory of Christ, who has joined us to Himself. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want to show you from verse 4, the first half, is that we must all honor 
marriage. I, I read a quotation from Paul David Tripp two years ago on this date, and he said that Jesus didn't come just to forgive us. He unzipped us and gave us the Holy Spirit. He didn't just wipe away our sin. He gave us a relationship with a holy God that we could be joined to God. And marriage is to be a picture of that, a holy, sacred picture of the union of the believer and Christ and of the, of the church and of Christ. Unfortunately, we live in a day when marriage is more often the subject of ridicule than of honor. In 2018, the marriage rate in the United States fell to its lowest mark in recorded history. If trend lines hold, 25% of people who are young adults today will never marry. They will have partners, but they'll never get married. The failure in our country and our culture to honor marriage is having devastating effects. I want to give you just one indicator of that. The number of children living in single-parent homes in the last 60 years has exploded. Even the Brookings Institute has concluded the experiment of pursuing pleasure without lifelong commitment is a colossal failure. They write this, If we've learned any policy lesson well over the past 25 years, it is that for children living in single-parent homes, the odds of living in poverty are great, which means educational outcomes are affected, life and health are affected. They go on to say, the policy implications of the increase of out-of-wedlock births are staggering. It isn't just God's Word that tells us marriage is important. If we would just read the statistics, we would see that honoring marriage is important. But we live in a culture that wants freedom without responsibility. And we live in a country that wants salvation without submission to Jesus. And therefore, the church is called to honor marriage as a way of showing allegiance to King Jesus who is the husband of the church. Verse 4 begins, marriage is to be held in honor among all. See that word all there? It's an important word. It's not just if you're married that you honor marriage. Whether you're married or widowed or singled or, or divorced or old or young or in between, the entire church is called in verse 4 to honor marriage. The word honor is the word to mean, that means to hold in great esteem, to prize something, to regard it as costly or precious, like a precious jewel that you would protect, that you would honor. Here's a question. Is the church honoring marriage today? Is the church regarding marriage as sacred and precious, something that you would protect Are husbands loving their wives sacrificially or living for their video games? Do wives lovingly submit to their husbands or define success as doing whatever they have to do to get their way? Do we think of marriage as a gift from God to learn how to give ourselves wholeheartedly to someone else as God gives Himself wholeheartedly to us? Or have we made our marriages mostly about ourselves, our wants, our needs, our pleasure? I suspect our country would not have so quickly abandoned marriage if the church had done a better job of honoring it. Now perhaps you're here and thinking, but I, I'm not married. <laughs> I'm good, pastor. Don't have to check that box. And while you may not have a spouse, every Christian, if you belong to Jesus, is in a sense already married because Jesus is the husband of the church. The miracle of the gospel 
is that when Jesus saves you, you get a real, living, personal relationship with God Himself, which is important. Because it means if you're here this morning and you are single, you're not less than people who are married. Because being single doesn't mean being alone. And you don't have to have a spouse in a house and 2.3 kids riding around in a minivan to matter to God. And you don't have to have those things to matter to this pastor or this church either. You don't have to be married to honor marriage or be a full participant in the life of the church. So one way that singles honor marriage is by not thinking that you're deficient or defective because you're single. Satisfied singleness honors your union with Jesus and it prepares you for marriage if God wants you to be married. He doesn't want everybody to be married. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 7. Indeed, married Christians dishonor marriage when they expect their spouse to do for them and be for them what only Jesus can be and do for them. Some people get married like this, they're, they're this vacuum. Like if I just meet the right woman or if I just meet the right guy, then, then my life will be good. Baloney. A husband can't do for you what Jesus can do for you. A wife can't do for you what Jesus can do for you. Only Jesus can forgive your sin. Only Jesus can clean your cleanse your conscience, and only Jesus can give you access to the throne of grace. So the best way to enter a marriage is someone who's already honoring marriage by recognizing that your union with Jesus is deeply satisfying and sufficient for life and godliness. God intends for marriage to be a real-life picture or a dramatization of the gospel. It's no accident that the people of God are called the bride and Jesus is called the bridegroom. When God rescues us from sin and death, He makes us one with His Son. You see, the intimacy and the closeness and the one fleshness, Genesis 2.24, of marriage, the submission and the intimacy and the love, all of this is to be a picture of the intimacy and closeness and love and submission and unity between God's people and their King. Marriage is therefore something we all must honor. And in our current cultural climate, at this moment in our country's history, it must be stated that all of us must honor marriage. That's whether we're single or married. We must all honor marriage by not accepting or endorsing beliefs and behaviors that undermine marriage. The church must honor marriage by defending what marriage actually is. We can love people who are actively sinning without going to a ceremony that celebrates their sin. We are witnessing in our day the unavoidable slippery slope that sinners embrace when we leave behind God's good design for marriage. The whole church, all of us, every one of us, must hold the line on what marriage is. That a man is a man and a woman is a woman and it is the union of one man and one woman for life monogamously, period. If we compromise that, we have endorsed and celebrated sin and we must not do it. The pressure is already being applied, church. If the country and the culture can get you to cave on marriage, they can get you to cave on anything. The whole church must honor the God who created marriage by supporting and standing for and cheering for and praying for marriage as God defined it. 
Now, for those who are married, I want to take a moment to mention several ways that you can honor marriage within your marriage. First, we need to let the Bible tell us what marriage is and how it works. I don't know if there's any other area of the Scriptures where people try to wriggle out of what God has said. I've seen it in counseling. I've seen it in conversations. Did God really tell wives to submit to their husbands? Did God really tell husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church? Does God really say that marriage is between one biological man and one biological woman totally and monogamously devoted to one another for life? Yes, that's how He defines marriage. And marriage is not a contract. It is a covenant. A con- you know what a contract is, right? It's a, it's a relationship that only lasts as long as each individual's needs are met at a cost that's acceptable to them. The individual determines when they'll enter the contract and when they'll exit the contract. Alejandro's switched from, Pepsi to, excuse me, from Coca-Cola to Pepsi, and I was no longer interested in going to Alejandro's. I wanted out of that contract, so I canceled it. Except my wife loves Alejandro's, and so guess where I ate after I preached this sermon last night? (laughs) Love my wife like Christ loved the church, because marriage is a covenant. A covenant is between husband and wife, and between husband and God, and between wife and God to never be separate. In a covenant, the good of the relationship takes precedence over the immediate needs of either individual. Some of you are hearing that and you're saying, that's crazy. It's about me. And I want you to remember that the covenant of marriage is a picture of what God did to make you His. And to never leave you or forsake you. And so if you think that's crazy, think for a moment how crazy this is. God left heaven to wrap Himself in your humanity, to take your sin upon Himself so He could give you all that He is and all that He has and never abandon you or leave you or forsake you. That is what marriage is intended to reflect. Kathy and Tim Keller said this, Christ embraced the ultimate other, sinful humanity. He did not exclude us by simply consigning us to judgment. He embraced us by dying on a cross for our sins. To love the other, especially an other who is hostile, entails sacrifice. It means sometimes experiencing betrayal and rejection and and attacks. The easiest thing is to leave. But Jesus did not leave. He embraced us, the other, and brought us into a new unity with Himself. First, to honor marriage, we give ourselves to our spouses selflessly and regardless of the cost just as Jesus gave Himself for us and our salvation. Secondly, we must recognize Satan specializes in attacking marriages and pray accordingly. Satan would love to cancel and kill your marriage. Excuse me. Satan hates the gospel. And he hates anything that proves the power of the gospel. When Adam, and Eve, when Adam first saw Eve, you remember this? Adam's there, he's, he's alone, God makes Eve. And what does Adam say as soon as he sees Eve? He says, whoa, man. And then they sin, right? Eve sins, and then Adam sins, and then God comes to, to meet them there. And in, in Genesis 3, Adam, what does he do? Just, just a chapter earlier, he's like, this woman is amazing. And then they sin, and what happens? 
He's like, God, this woman that you made and gave to me made me do it. It's all her fault. Satan wants to do that in your marriage. He wants to turn you against your spouse, get your focus on yourself, get inside of your head and lead you down the path of playing the blame game. We honor marriage when we guard against Satan's schemes and pray for our spouses and ourselves not to be duped or taken by the enemy. So we've got to recognize what Satan wants to do and we've got to pray together and separately against the schemes of Satan. Thirdly, we must cultivate a culture of valuing marriage in the church. One way we show brotherly and sisterly love is by encouraging one another in our marriages and praying for our marriages. Now this doesn't mean if you have suffered a divorce that that you are less than or that we don't love you and want to embrace you, but it means if you're in a troubled marriage, we want to help you out. We don't want your marriage to be destroyed by Satan. We don't want your marriage to be destroyed by whatever's going on with it. There's nothing wrong with getting... with sitting down with a Christian counselor or a Christian pastor to discuss your marriage. It is good and healthy to find another couple that you can trust to help you pray through issues in your marriage. We have a men's ministry and a women's ministry here at North Roanoke, and right now they haven't been very active because, if you didn't know, we're in a worldwide pandemic. But one of the primary reasons to have a men's ministry and a women's ministry is not to sit down and do, you know, Crafting and hunting and golf, as good as those things are. The primary vision and mission of a men's ministry and a women's ministry should be to train up godly women and godly men to be godly husbands and fathers and wives. That's what a men's ministry is for. That's what a women's ministry is for. We honor marriage by encouraging men to be godly men and Women to be godly women as designed and described in the Bible. As Kathy Keller says, the tender serving authority of a husband's headship and the strong, gracious gift of a wife's submission restore us to who we were meant to be at creation. Did you know a healthy marriage is a preview of coming attractions? A healthy marriage puts on display what life was like in the garden and what life will be like in the garden when we are united with our King face to face. It's a beautiful picture. Fourth, we honor marriage when husbands and wives are a team in God's mission. You say, Daniel, I need something practical. I need something tangible this morning. This is is it. You struggling in your marriage? Get a mission outside of trying to make your marriage work. Get engaged in God's mission together and watch what God will do in your marriage. Marriage is more than friendship, but it's not less than friendship. Think about who you naturally become friends with. Usually it's people that you have something in common with. Uh, You know, you like the same college football team, or you both like golf, or hiking, or good books. What brings people together in a friendship is usually something outside of just themselves. There's something else that brings them together. And what brings us together powerfully in Christian marriage is the mission of God. For a a marriage to go the distance and get better and sweeter with time, a marriage works best when it is wrapped up in and compelled by the mission of God. So let me ask you, Christian couples, what are you doing in the mission of God together? What are you doing in the mission of God together? Besides just coming to church and going to Sunday, those are great things. But maybe you've got a lost neighbor down the street that you just want to get together and, if you're like the Palmer's, who are homeschoolers, 
whenever we have guests over, we first have to clean the house together, right? Now, maybe that wouldn't have to happen at your house, but, but it begins with, man, who's going to clean the bathroom, right? We've got to get the toothpaste out of the kid's bathroom. It's important. And then, you know, Samuel misses all the time. And so, um, you know, there's, there's a little, it's, 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 a, it's a Herculean effort to have guests over to the Palmer household. But Stacy and I, one of the things that we found in our marriage that just brings us together is having someone over to invest in their life. Throwing everything aside on a Saturday and just going after it, getting the house totally clean so we can host somebody and show them the love of Jesus. Maybe, maybe God wants you to do that in your marriage. Maybe once the worldwide pandemic is over and we're able to go on mission trips again, maybe God wants you to sign up, you and your spouse, to go on a mission trip together and serve Jesus and watch what God will do as you serve Him in a foreign place, trying to figure out language and everything else, and see what God will do in your heart as you serve together. Whatever the answer to that question is, find your place together in the mission of God and give your all to it and watch what God does as He brings you together in your marriage like never before. Fifth, we must understand marriage is a powerful way that God has given us to be more like Jesus. Until we get this truth, all the pragmatic tips that I could give you to improve your marriage are powerless. We've got to understand the purpose of marriage. It's to to make us look more like Jesus. And the way marriage makes us more like Jesus is it puts a big old highlighter on our selfishness so the Holy Spirit can work and make us selfless. You say, well, I want some pragmatic tips. I'm telling you, it's not going to work until you understand this truth. I, I could tell you that husbands need to listen better because they do. I could tell you you need to do a better job of anticipating your wife's needs and doing what she needs before she has to ask you to do it the hundredth time. I could tell you to put down your phone when your wife is talking and stop wasting time doing nonsense in your man cave and get to know your wife. I could tell wives to stop nagging and nitpicking. To remember how you greeted your husband at the door when you were first married. I could tell you, we could spend the rest of our time this morning going over pragmatics, but here's the truth. Whenever a sermon goes into pragmatics, here's what happens every time. Wives are sitting there thinking of what they wish their husbands would change. And husbands are sitting there thinking of what they wish their wives would change. And we go home and nothing changes. Because that's not how it works. God designed marriage to change you. To honor Christ in marriage, focus not on changing your spouse, but on what God wants to change in you. And leave God to do the work in your spouse. God designed marriage to expose your selfishness and teach you selflessness. Whenever there's a conflict in marriage, whenever there's a a crisis of who will get the other's pleasure and who will give in, we have one of three choices, Keller tells us. We can offer to serve the other with joy. We can offer to serve the other with coldness and resentment. Or we can insist on our own way. Does that about cover it? Whenever... In the Palmer household, it's where are we going to go for dinner? And I'm going to name a restaurant I don't know. Because that's always the I don't know. So in Roanoke, we're going to create a restaurant called IDK for I don't know. And we will have just reservations out the wazoo. Because we will, we will crush it. Where do you want to go for dinner? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I, I just defer wherever you want to go. Well, I don't know where I want to go. 
What is your response when there's a conflict in your marriage? Is your default response to serve the other with joy, to serve with coldness and resentment so you can get points to put in your bank account to hold it against them the next time? Or do you just say, we're doing what I want to do no matter what? Only the first choice honors Christ. You want a thriving marriage, you've got to strive to outserve your spouse for the glory of Jesus who outserved you and watch God work in your life and in your spouse's life along the way. Now this doesn't mean husbands and wives never challenge one another. We don't just do it to get points to avoid our own responsibility. Marriage should be a place of safety, just as Jesus saved us. And when we learn more about our selfishness, and we're like, God, thank you, I didn't even realize you loved me that much, so it should be in marriage. So in our, in our marriages, here's a question. Does your spouse know that he or she can tell you ways that you can improve without unleashing mayhem in your marriage? Man, I, I have met some husbands who are terrified to tell their wives the truth. That's sad. Your marriage is not going to get better if you aren't supporting one another in both becoming more like Christ. Christ is honored when we stop waiting to see if our spouse will ever do what we want and if instead we resolve to selflessly love our spouse in the power of the Holy Spirit. So to live in a way that is well-pleasing to God, we've got to honor marriage. And secondly, we must let the marriage bed be undefiled. Or to state it positively, we must let the marriage bed be pure. The marriage bed is the way of describing the physical union of a husband and a wife. All other uses of the marriage bed besides that of a husband and a wife defile they pollute, they bring shame and hurt and guilt because they are inconsistent with God's good design for marriage. As Keller writes, the Bible says, don't unite with someone physically unless you're willing to unite with them emotionally, personally, socially, economically, and legally. Don't become physically bare and vulnerable with someone without becoming vulnerable first in every other way it really is that simple any use of the marriage bed that's only for yourself or occurs outside of the marriage of a man and a woman is defiling so let me break that down for you when we put the bedroom before the ballroom dancing on the wedding day it is fornication that defiles the activity of the marriage bed without a spouse is fornication that defiles a bed with someone other than your spouse, whether in person or not, is adultery that defiles. And if we do not repent of these things, because the reality is, speaking of a congregation this size and speaking to those who are listening online, we've all been impacted by this in some way. And the hope of the gospel is that through Jesus, our sin can be washed away and our conscience can be cleansed. But we don't do it by saying, well, all that stuff doesn't matter. I don't care what God said about marriage and the marriage bed. So wherever you are in your relationship with your spouse, in your relationship with what God has said about human sexuality, if there's a need for repentance in your life, then repent. Let the guilt and the shame and the suffering and the bitterness and the anxiety that is produced by your past be gone today at the feet of Jesus, who will rid you of your sin, 
cleanse you from the inside out and let you know a love of God like you've never known, which never known, which is what the marriage bed is to represent. You can know the self-giving love of God if you'll turn from your sin and trust in Him. It is this miraculous truth of salvation that sinners can be made clean and forgiven and safely and securely placed in Jesus that marriage and the act of marriage represents. The marriage bed is a picture of the safety and security and joyful intimacy we have in our union with Jesus. It is forgiving yourself totally and completely and regularly and permanently to your spouse. What happens in the marriage bed is to be a sort of embodied, out-of-body reality that reflects the even more superior joy of belonging to Jesus. It is, as Keller says, perhaps the most powerful God-created way to help you give your whole self to another human being. Church, it is difficult to overstate how important marriage bed, the marriage bed is to marriage. Now, I want to clarify that the, the marriage bed and what happens there as we age, my understanding is that that can change over time, but I'm talking about closeness. I'm talking about intimacy. The marriage bed is fundamental to marriage. Indeed, there's no pastor in the Garden of Eden. There are no vows. It's just God saying, go become one flesh. And the marriage begins in the marriage bed. The marriage is consummated and cultivated and continued in the marriage bed. So for all the ways that the marriage bed can be defiled that we ought to avoid, for those who are married, the marriage bed needs to be used. Marriage without the marriage bed dishonors marriage. If you're married, giving pleasure to your spouse is an important part of living a life that is well-pleasing to God. How do I please God? I am a husband that pleases my wife. How do I please God? I'm a wife who lives to please my husband. We can say we are selfless and all is well in our marriages, but if intimacy is lacking, it's like a warning light on the dashboard of your marriage. There's nothing like an unshakable commitment to ongoing intimacy in marriage to force us to deal with everything else that's under the surface that Satan wants to use to attack our marriages. So if you are here this morning and you are married, I want you to remember the three F's. Fun, frequent, and for the joy of your spouse. Intimacy in marriage is a beautiful gift of God. It is God's way for husbands to love their wives and wives to love their husbands and to come together through the highs and the lows and the joys and the sorrows and to say to each other, I know who you are. I know your faults and your flaws, but I see you like Jesus sees you and I embrace you and give you all that I have and all that I am. I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. The world wants to sell us a bunch of substitutes for God's good design. The world wants to break us and leave us broken. And an unfortunate overreaction in the church to all the misuses of the marriage bed is that we have not talked about it. We've ignored it. We've treated it as taboo. We can't do that. The marriage bed in marriage is a beautiful, glorious, and wonderful gift from God. Yes, all the other uses defile, but 
the use that God has given to us is the wide open avenue to learn and to love one another. And it is a picture of how God loves us. The marriage bed is given to reveal God's all-encompassing, joy-inducing, never-stopping, life-giving love for us in Jesus. And I love what Keller says in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. He says this, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. Jesus saw you at your worst and He came down to give you Himself so that you could have Him forever. This sort of love is the love that God calls us to in our marriages. It's a love that cannot be earned or deserved or manipulated. It is a love that we freely give our spouse because God has so freely given Himself to us. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, help us to be a church that honors marriage. Lord, I I pray uh, for the married couples who are here, God, for whatever you have spoken to their heart, that you would give them the courage to leave this place and by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, God, to, to pursue the changes that you are convicting them of this morning. God, that you would, because of this morning, maybe bring some healing to some marriages that were, that were on the brink. God, for those who have perhaps suffered a marriage that, that did fail, that did not work. God, that you would remind them that Jesus is the healer. That Jesus is the forgiver. That Jesus is our husband. God, for those who are single and maybe contemplating marriage one day, God, that you would help them to remain pure. God, if, if that is, there's something in their past that, that has been a violation of your design for the marriage bed, God, that today if they're hanging on to that anxiety and that worry and that guilt and that hurt, that that today, God, you would release them from whatever pain in their past, whatever shame from their past that is lingering in their mind and their heart, and God, that you would cause them to fall down at your feet and to, to see how great and mighty and forgiving you are, and that, God, you would do a powerful work in their heart to forgive their sin and open up that avenue of of cleanliness and holiness that comes from you God do your work in this place God maybe there's a husband who needs to come and pray for his wife or a wife who needs to come and pray for her husband or a couple that wants to come and pray for themselves God whatever needs to happen here today in light of what you've said about marriage we pray you would do it because you meet us right where we are and you cleanse us And you make us your own through the blood of Jesus. We give you praise for that. In Jesus' name.